we have got an action plan action-packed, excuse me, show planned for you this morning. Um, So first, I want to start out with a couple of shout-outs. I want to shout-out everybody that um, got a chance to support the Ricky Smiley um, comedy show that uh, came to town and everybody that just had a great time this weekend with all the various events that were happening around town. Um, It is Black History Month, of course, and There are so many untold stories in our community, so we want to be sure to um, have an opportunity to highlight them, which is why I'm joined by my first guest this morning, Leah, um, who is the Director of Programming and Community Engagement for Indiana Humanities. Leah, how are you doing this morning? I'm up. That's good. But I'm good. (laughs) Thanks. No problem. No problem. So tell us a little bit about what it is that you do with Indiana Humanities. So Indiana Humanities is a statewide organization. And rather than try to explain what the humanities are, we like to say that we encourage Hoosiers to think, read and talk. So we're a grant maker. We do public programming. We support filmmakers. We do all kinds of cool stuff to get people to kind of think about big ideas and talk about them with their friends and neighbors. Awesome. Awesome. So I understand that you all have the inseparable film tour series that has been going on um, throughout the state and traveling. And there are so many different stories that are included. Um, Tell us about some of the stories that are included in this film series. Yeah. So we're in the middle of a two year theme where we're kind of looking at how Hoosiers are connected and disconnected across urban rural lines. And we thought it would be really cool to ask filmmakers to create short films about those same ideas. So short documentary films. So we selected five filmmakers, and they really tell a variety of stories. So one of my favorites in the series is called Larry from Gary. Mm -hmm. It's by a filmmaker who's named Dan Rybicki, who's from Gary. Um, And it follows um, a dance instructor who um, starts out in public schools, but of course there's been a lot of disinvestment in Gary. And so when his school closes down, he like figures out a new way to keep this dance company going, and it follows kind of you know, over 35, 40 years of career, like what the impact has been for his students. Um, So that's one of my favorite of the films. It also features all this like great musicians from Gary and all these dancers from Mm -hmm. Gary. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, Another film that I'm really excited about is called From Sundown to Sunrise. And it actually follows from Valparaiso, Indiana, which is a small town in northwest Indiana, um, which was previously a sundown town. So don't be there after dark if you're a person of color. Um... And the story of how that town was integrated in the 1960s. Um, And it's kind of a remarkable story. The Valparaiso University, which is headquartered there, there was a football coach affiliated with a Lutheran church. They had a volunteer program in the 60s where students went to Chicago and met, you know, and worked and volunteered in public housing communities. And after the MLK riots in the 1960s, they were like, we're going to get out of here. And they were, you know, all white from rural small towns. And um, one of the women and who had gotten to know the volunteers really well and belonged to the Lutheran Church, she said, well, why is that good for your kids and not for my kids? And mm-hmm. so she kind of challenged the people who were running this program. They said, all right, well, we'll build you a house in Valparaiso and you can move there. And so it kind of follows that story. And at the time, there was a Jet Magazine story about it. So there's like all this amazing photography and photo essays about the family in the 60s. Um, and then it kind of picks back up with them now. Um, the kid who was um, Robert Cotton, who was the the primary 
you know, kind of protagonist of this story that ran in Jet Magazine in the 60s, he was elected the first city councilman, um, African-American from the city of Valparaiso. So it kind of picks wow. back up there. So it's, you know, those are two of the five stories, but I'll take a breath and see yeah. <laughs> what other questions you have. But there's some really incredible stories that I think people, you know, one of our goals was to get people in Indiana to kind of like dig below the surface and, and see what other stories are out there. Absolutely. One of the things that came to mind for me, and I watched the trailer um, earlier this week, and it was just really, really cool to see all of the different stories that were going to be included. Um, One of the things that I thought about immediately, and I think about often, especially during this time of year, is the fact that in our public school system, there is a lack of black history being taught. And I know that that is an issue that people have um, gone to the state house about, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and lots of community people having an issue with um, what are your thoughts around the fact that this is not, you know, top of mind in our school systems? Anymore? Yeah, you're speaking to a former U.S. history teacher. So this is like really close to my heart. So, I mean, we should be teaching. I mean, you cannot teach American history, let's say, without teaching African-American history. Like those two things yeah. are not like separable. And so part of it's how we train teachers. Right. Like. How are they being taught? You know, what kind of narratives are they receiving about what is the the real history of the United States? Um, I also think that there's a question of resources, especially when you want to dig into like what's the local history, right? There's more research that needs to be done. There's more training that needs to be done with teachers so that they are prepared and have resources to teach local history. It kind of, um, I mean, so it's like really, really integral. Um, it's also important that we teach like complex history, right? That um, I always was struck with my students, you know, they kind of had received some big stories, right? They knew that Harry Tubman exists. They knew that Rosa Parks existed. They didn't really have a clear sense of like the timeline of when those things happened, right? Yeah. Like that those two women were not contemporaries and they're responding to like really specific um, things in their time. And also even I always think of like the Rosa Parks story where it's like, it's not like she just got tired one day and sat down. Like she was a trained activist who was like really intentional about what exactly. she was doing. Exactly. And um, there's a different, you learn a different kind of story and it empowers a different kind of action in the present, depending on how you learn the story of someone like Rosa Parks or Harriet Tubman. So all that is to say that, you know, I think it's really, really important. And I think that the people who are advocating for more are on the, like absolutely keep it up. And I will also say that, you know, Indiana Humanities, one of the things that we can fund through our grants are curriculum projects or speakers or resources for schools to teach history, which is absolutely the humanities. So if there are folks out there that are like, we want more of these resources in my classroom or I have an idea for how to train teachers in my district, please visit IndianaHumanities.org and check out our grants. Awesome. Awesome. And if you have any questions for Leah or you just want to make a comment um, in terms of what we're talking about this morning, give us a call at 317-239-1067. Once again, that is 317-239-1067. Something else that I think is really powerful is just the transformative power of storytelling. Um, When you mention about these big names that we always learn about, Um, oftentimes the stories that we don't hear are the ones in our own backyard. So like the family in Valparaiso, like someone uh, like Larry from Gary who are doing things in their own communities um, to help impact change. Those are the kind of stories I think that are extremely important to share as well. Yeah. So I think about someone like Larry from Gary. So on the surface, first of all, he's just like this incredibly charismatic, charming guy. Like you want to spend time in his company and you can see what makes a great educator. And if anyone... You know, you think of the most powerful teacher you ever had. It's someone like Larry. 
But it's also like his story. His family moved to Gary in 1969, right when Richard Hatcher had been um, elected, first um, black mayor, first big city black mayor anywhere in the country, I think, or maybe the second after Cleveland. So like a real political change that is an Indiana story. Like when you talk about like, how are we teaching Black History Month? Like we should be teaching the story of Richard Hatcher because God knows he's in your textbooks if you go to college anywhere else in the country and take African-American studies, right? Or political history. So... But he also talks about like what happened, what kind of white flight then started to happen in a serious way in Gary that reshaped the city and the kind of disinvestment, right? So if you're losing population, like Gary has lost, like what happens to the high schools? And, you know, what happens to an arts program in a high school? Um, and he, he, so you kind of are following his story and you're getting this very personal story, but you're also getting this like really macro level story about the really big forces that have shaped communities, shaped Indiana um, and I think that like storytelling is a great way into those really big and tough and important topics. Absolutely. And it helps to make it personal for you because we can think about someone that we know that has taken up this um, incredible charge despite circumstances that would point them in a completely different direction. Because imagine trying to still teach the arts and dance in a community that, like you said, people have disinvested from and a lot of, you know, the world has forgotten, unfortunately, but still trying to maintain that commitment. Absolutely. Yeah. And you also see that, like, um, yeah, how powerful that personal story is. But and he's really good at kind of narrating, like, yeah, this is my personal story, but we can't forget this larger context. And I would say a great educator always does that. They're like, we'll focus on you, but we're going to look at the big picture, too. Yeah. yeah. So part of the goal of us with the film series has been to find filmmakers to tell stories that surprise us, right? And what happens, you know, people, film in particular has this way of kind of like generating empathy Mm -hmm. um, for visualizing. I think like some of the films that are in the series, you know, if we've taken these films to places all around the state, so we're going to small towns, big cities, um, we'll be up in Gary on March 6th, Um, we'll be here in Indianapolis on February 26th, and we'll be at the Indianapolis Art Center. Hopefully you can come and see the films with us. But, you know, some places we're going like, I, we were in Rushville, Indiana, a really small little town, southeast Indiana. Like, folks the home have, of Joe Hoxett. Oh, that's right. I forgot, <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, but, yeah, so there are a lot of folks there who have, like, heard of Gary, but they've never maybe visited or don't know what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and same wise, there's another film in the series that's about a little tiny small town that still produces an independent newspaper, like, in a rural community, which is kind of improbable because media has really changed, right? And mm-hmm. so you're driving, and I, you know, I'm kind of from that part of the state, and I was like, you know, I'm surprised I don't see my parents walking around in the background because it's such a familiar scene. But again, there are people from Indianapolis or from Fort Wayne that are like, I don't know what a tiny little town in East Central Indiana looks Mm -hmm. like. So storytelling really kind of helps that. And it's also cool to like work with creative people like storytellers, right? Like they they figure out what a narrative is that's different than like what a historian would say or, you know, what a journalist might even say, right? So that that creative process has been really cool and to get to work with the filmmakers as they're shaping these stories um, and support their vision has been exciting work for Indiana Humanities. Awesome. So you mentioned that on the 26th, the film series is coming here to the Indianapolis Arts Center. What time does it start and how can people get tickets? Um, the first easiest thing is go to indianahumanities.org because the very first thing on our homepage is says Inseparable Film Tour. If you click there, you'll see all the upcoming events, including Indianapolis. 
So you can go there and reserve a ticket. Tickets are five bucks, but if that is a barrier for anybody, they just need to email us and our contact information is right on the page. Um, the event starts at 6.30. Doors open at 6. We'll have some complimentary Sun King beer. Thank you, Sun King, for those who are 21 and older, of course. And the films themselves are about an hour and a half total runtime, and you'll see five short films by Indiana filmmakers kind of looking at contemporary urban and rural life today. Awesome. Well, Leah, thank you so much for your time and for being available to be on the show. Um, how can people keep up with Indiana Humanities online? Well, my favorite thing to do is I'm a Twitter junkie. So I would say follow us on social media or so Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. So at IN Humanities. Um, you can also visit our website or if you sign up for a ticket, frankly, you'll get added to our newsletter unless you tell us that you don't want that. So you <laughs> should do that. Yeah, unsubscribe. <laughs> unsubscribe. I mean, you got to prune every once in a while. You do. But I think ours is a pretty good newsletter. It goes out once a month. So that's a great way to keep up, not just with programs and events, but also like funding opportunities and other stuff resources we have awesome well thank you again and you all stay tuned we got much more show coming up we are going to be talking about the community food compass that is just uh launched that helps community members find food find free food resources so stay tuned you're listening to open lines with ebony marie chappelle right here on 106.7 wtlc Welcome back. Welcome back to Open Lines here on 106.7 WTLC. I'm your host, Ebony Chappelle. Um, I want to remind you guys about Martin Lawrence. He is coming to Banker's Life. So listen to Jerry Way all week at 8 p.m. for your chance to win tickets to the Lit AF Tour. Hosted by Martin Lawrence with D-Ray Davis, Bruce Bruce, B. Simone, and Tommy Davidson. They are coming to town Sunday, February 23rd at Banker's Life Fieldhouse. I want to say thank you to my last guest, Aaliyah Namias from the Indiana Humanities. We will have more information about their film series on our website later on this afternoon. I also want to let you guys know, in case you missed the announcement, um, Open Lines is changing starting next Sunday, so it'll be a brand new show. Um, I will have a co-host, Mr. Cameron Riddle. He is a reporter at WRTV6. So we are so, so excited, and I want to thank each and every one of you for your support of the show thus far. And like I said earlier, the show is called Open Lines for a reason. The phone lines are open, so give us a call at 239-1067. Once again, that is 317-239-1067 to join in on the conversation. Um, Before I went to break, I mentioned that we were going to be talking um, about the Community Compass. So this is a food app that just launched last week that is here for our community. Um, I want to give you guys some information. So according to Feeding America, hunger in Marion County affects about 18.6% of our population. Um, That's over 170,000 people who have trouble keeping food on the table. So if you got up this morning and you were able to make yourself breakfast or you're going to have dinner this evening, consider yourself blessed because about one in five people in our own community are not able to do that, but this new resource may help. So right now I'm joined with Shelly Suttles, who is a board member with the Indie Hunger Network. Shelly, how are you doing this morning? I'm great, Ebony. Thank you so much for having me here this morning. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, I mentioned that this app, it just launched, um, and it came out on February the 10th. Tell us a little bit about what the Food Compass does and how it is available for the community. Yeah, so the Food Compass is kind of a multi-platform resource available to residents um, so that they can access food assistance in Marion County. So it does have the geographic boundaries of Marion County, but it does provide information on 
where you can find information on food pantries, so hours of operation, addresses, um, what's required for you to get groceries at that pantry. It also has information on hot meal sites, so where you can get uh, already prepared meal, just sit down and enjoy that meal. And it also has very important information on SNAP and WIC. And so we know that for individuals who are food insecure, having access to these federal resources is what really makes a difference. You can, you know, sign up for SNAP, sign up for WIC, and use that um, Hoosier Works card to go just to the regular grocery store and buy groceries just like anyone else to meet your food security needs. Yeah, so you're saying that they can sign up for SNAP and WIC, and SNAP a lot of people know as food stamps. But you can sign up for that inside this compass? So not inside the compass because it's a federally run program. You know, there's all sorts of rules and restrictions. But what we do is we kind of, if you sign into the chat bot, um, so you can text or use the app for the chat bot. And the chat bot has a series of questions that they will ask you. So it's about seven to eight questions they'll ask you about household size, household income, if you have any seniors in the house, any children under five years old. And that will let you know whether or not you most likely qualify for SNAP and WIC. And then we will push out the information for you to connect to your most local office. Okay, to then sign up then. Okay, okay. So when you get onto it, first of all, how do you even get the app? Yeah, so the app is available in uh, Android's Google Play or the Apple Store. But we were very mindful that not everybody has a smartphone. Absolutely. So what you can do if you don't have a smartphone is you can text 317-434-3758. And you can text the word hi, and that will activate the chat bot. So you don't actually need a smartphone at all. And you can still get all the resources that we have in the app technology just through a simple um, text message. So that number again is 317-434-3758. Okay, awesome. And getting into this either through the app or through the text messaging service allows you to find out about food pantries in the area and warm meals, etc. Um, are these resources available every day of the week and during different hours? Like, how does that work? Yeah, so we say, you know, I would say the SNAP and the WIC, um, you know, Resource Center. So the state's um, Department of Family and Resources and WIC, Marion County WIC, have their offices open on weekdays. So those are general business hours. Um, But for the food pantries and the hot meal sites, you know, we have over 200 food pantries in Marion County. So maybe one is not open every single day of the week or, you know, they all have varying hours. But, you know, there's somebody to cover you. So it's also important to know there are a handful of fully open resource food pantries in the city. So when we think about folks needing a meal, and maybe they're most closely located to a food pantry that has certain restrictions. There are food pantries are open to anyone. So we know Gleaners is open to anyone. St. Vincent de Paul on 30th and Keystone is open to anyone. So it will kind of pull up those larger open source resources for you as well. Yeah. So one thing, um, I remember when this conversation um, first came up, I think sometime last year, um, there were some concerns about community and grassroots groups that have already been integrated into this fight for food justice, maybe not being um, included or being included in a conversation. What can you say about the different community or grassroots groups that are a part of this food compass? Are there any? And if so, like, who are they? Yeah. So, um, you know, this is not a new project. So I know um, for some folks, the conversation around funding was a new uh, conversation for them, but we've actually been working on this project for over three years. 
So we pulled in a variety of different community. So just to let everybody know, kind of the impetus of the project was a conversation between IU Health physicians and Indy Star. The physicians actually realized their patients were, you know, desperately struggling with food insecurity and wanted something done. So the medical community really drove this conversation to start with. And, you know, at the same time, three years ago, I came on board as food policy and program coordinator with the city. The same time, Kate Howe came on board as executive director of Indy Hunger Network. And we kind of took the charge to say, okay, if this is something the medical community, you know, folks who work with individuals who struggle with food insecurity are realizing is a need, um, let's kind of open the conversation to the community. So actually, in February of 2007, we had a uh, community conversation over the course of two days at the Central Library. So it was come one, come all. We had community members from a variety of different organizations across the city um, come and give their um, input about what they would want to see in food insecurity technologies. And we actually brainstormed three technologies that day. And so a lot of people might remember um, the summer of 2017, there were posters all over the city um, so people could vote on those three technologies. So if you were at the library, if you're at the Y, if you're at a park location, if you were at the Chin Center, we had them translated into Spanish and Hakka Chin as well. So mm-hmm. regardless if you only spoke English or spoke additional language, we really reached far and wide so community could decide. And we actually came up with three pretty creative apps. But once we collated all the results of the vote um, over the course of those few months, the community compass really stood out as something people identified as a resource. And then so we spent time um, kind of working with the developer to test the app, and then we worked with it, a few organizations across the city. There are poverty relief organizations, Circles, for example. Um, we worked with those individuals who really do live the real deal. You know, these individuals are currently struggling with food insecurity. They know um, the resources that need to be in the technology, that should be in the technology, and we use their input to tweak the technology. So we've had a variety of different conversations with community members over the course of three years. So I apologize that everyone wasn't aware of it until the um, funding conversation came about, but we really worked uh, hard to reach far and wide um, to reach all diverse communities across the city over three years. Awesome, and thank you so much for laying that out for us because I think a lot of people did become more aware um, when the funding conversation happened. So it helps to know that community has been engaged from the very start. Um, and again, if you have any questions or comments, give us a call at 317-239-1067. Once again, that is 317-239-1067. Um, what are the overall goals around the Food Compass as far as numbers of people that you want to reach or overall impact? Yeah, so you mentioned that 18% of Marion County population that is food insecure. And so through Indy Hunger Network study, so we do a biannual unmet needs study, we actually know of that about 180,000 people who are food insecure in the county, about 45 uh, to 47,000 of those residents are actually so food insecure, they're either skipping meals um, or eating less than they normally would. So this is our real target population with this um, technology and so we know that these individuals are churning through the system you know especially with seasonal work you know maybe summertime you're flush because you're um, you know doing construction outdoors and winter is a struggle for your household 
because you don't have that employment during the winter time. So we know that there is churn in the system, changing individuals. Um, so not everybody actually knows the food security landscape. So we just really wanted this to be a technology for people, number one, to have anonymity. You know, nobody needs to know your business. You can pull this up. You don't need to call anybody. You don't need to go down to, uh, you know, a center and feel the stigma, unfortunately, that exists around food insecurity. Absolutely. You can absolutely. do it in the privacy of your own home and get the resources that you and your family need. Yeah, which is super important. Um, I've had conversations with people around this very issue as well as um, homelessness and have people not um, not understand that it doesn't look the same for everybody. There are people that go to work every day that are still food insecure. There are people that live in different communities. Um, it's not only the inner city that are food insecure. So helping people to understand that this is something that impacts a lot of people um, every single day. Yeah, that is an excellent point. So when we think about those diverse communities who may have food insecurity, um, we know that, for example, seniors, seniors are very reluctant to reach out for assistance in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why can we have the text message option. And, you know, if folks kind of just want to still call, you know, there's the regular uh, channels that people can call. But this just gives people, you know, another mechanism, another tool in their toolkit to find the food assistance that they need. Absolutely. And I know that um, for more information, they can go on the website, indiehunger.org backslash compass. Um, remind us again about that text number yeah. um, that they can text to. So the text number is area code 317-434-3758. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Shelly, thank you again so much for um, everything that you're doing in the community and for your work um, behind this cause and for being a guest on the show. Thank you so much for letting us speak to you about this. It's really been a great effort, and we really thank all the community because I know some community who has helped with the project are probably listening in, and we thank you all so much. Awesome, awesome. You all stay tuned. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Sharia Caldwell. She is the Director of Community Development for CAFE, which is the Community Alliance of the Far East Side. Um, There's been a lot happening on the Far East Side um, around gun violence and homicide and other issues, and we're going to be talking about it. So stay tuned. You're listening to Open Lines with Ebony Chappelle right here on 106.7 WTLC. Welcome back. Welcome back to Open Lines here on 106.7 WTLC. I'm your host, Ebony Chappelle. Um, I want to remind you guys about another great show that is coming to town. So you can join us for Erica Badu in Common on Saturday, March 14th at Indiana Farmers Coliseum. Tickets are on sale now at the box office and ticketmaster.com. I want to say thank you to my last guest, Shelly Suttles of the Indie Hunger Network, um, for coming to talk to us about the Food Community Compass app that has just launched. For more information, you can go online to indiehunger.org backslash compass. Um, I told you guys before we went to break that we will be talking with Sharia Caldwell, who is the Director of Community Development for the Community Alliance of the Far East Side, also known as Cafe. Sharia, thank you so much for being on the show. Ebony, thank you so much for having me. You are very welcome. So, There has been a lot happening in our city. Um, And callers, the number is 317-239-1067 if you want to join in on this conversation. Um, But, yeah, there's been a lot going on, especially in terms of violent crime and homicides. And the Far East Side has been hit particularly hard um, over these past few weekends. 
And I just wanted to know what are your thoughts and feelings as somebody that is in this community every day? What are your thoughts and feelings on what's been going on? The Far East Side community is experiencing a lot of tragedy and it is it's 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 making uh people who live in the community concerned just about the future of the neighborhood only because there's a lot of lack of resources there's a a systematic issue that is contributing to this um and it is directly related to poverty um, so we are, we're very sad and we're in a state of, uh, grieving, but we're also hopeful of what is to come. And we're just hoping that more families don't have to experience these things before, um, other organizations and entities and municipalities get involved to help. Mm-hmm. Cause really what it comes down to is a capacity issue. Yeah. So, to, so explain a little bit more as far as a capacity issue, like what do you mean? So there are a lot of residents that live on the Far East Side, and mm-hmm. CAFE is the community center. Uh, our boundary is Pendleton Pike, Shadeland, Washington Street, County Line Road. So you can imagine how wow. many residents live in that particular area. That's a lot of people. Yeah. And there's Lawrence Township, IPS, and Warren Township as well in that uh, geographic boundary. Um, and for our particular area where we're at on 38th and Post, there's no high school for uh, for students. And during the time frame that, um, you know, John Marshall and Arlington closed uh, was around the time frame that these young adults who were between the ages of like 21, 24 would have been graduating from high school. So um, it's just a, a need for more resources. Like we, uh, the Boys and Girls Club and um, Employee Indian Cafe have partnered for the Yes Indirect Center for that 16 to 24 year old age range. Uh, but we just need more spaces and programming to to get folks educated and then also get them job access so they don't think that they need to do other things in order to supplement income and take care of their family. Absolutely. Absolutely. So giving them something that can help build that hope within them mm-hmm. so that they do think about the future um, and not so much this immediacy that's right in front of them. Um, I know that last weekend you all offered grief services following the death, uh, that quadruple homicide of the four young people mm-hmm. um, out in Carriage House East. What was last Sunday like for you all? So last uh, last Sunday's grief counseling session came about uh, because of the tragedy. And uh, there's a group of residents that um, I work closely with, the Far East Side Community Council, and also some resident leaders. And they just wanted to be able to have an opportunity to have an open space and just have a conversation so that people could just talk about how we're feeling. Uh, because we know that in our community, um, therapy and mental health and things like that, those things are not talked about. We're usually told to pray about it. Yeah. So we wanted to have an opportunity to have a conversation. So last week we just opened up the floor, kind of talked about how people were feeling, and then also to share resources that were available. So we had a couple of therapists on site. Uh, we had uh, Brooks Place and... Uh, uh, enriching lives and um, a couple of other therapists available um, and this week will be the same um, just having an open form and then also having resources available so that people know um, you don't have to grieve alone and there's people who um, who you can talk to um, we have uh, another organization that's in the community called uh, Purpose for My Pain DeAndrea Yates runs oh, that yeah. organization yeah. too so uh, just trying to get folks connected so that we can start the process of healing and connecting uh, with other resources and other ways of outlets uh, if you are experiencing 
um, anger and trauma. Absolutely. Because I think a lot of times what people don't realize, and I've had DeAndrea Yates on the show before, um, Mm -hmm. as well as other women specifically, um, it was mothers and wives Mm -hmm. that had been impacted by gun violence. And one of the things that we discuss is the fact that when these when these unfortunate deaths happen, um, a lot of times the the story is this is the number thirty first. So that's what I read last night: the number thirty first homicide of the mm-hmm. year, or the whatever homicide you know of the year. And we can't get stuck there because these people aren't statistics; mm-hmm. they aren't just numbers or notches, you know, on a on a list of people that have been killed. But they had a life, and they have a name, and they have a name. Mm-hmm. And their family and their community is impacted in immeasurable ways because they're no longer here. So those are the type of things that I think get forgotten um, in this conversation so often. So I think it's very, very powerful that you all sat down Mm -hmm. and were able to discuss that. Um, You don't have to go into detail to tell people's business, but what were some of the things that community was sharing during that time? Uh, Just a a matter of of wanting to to be heard. Mm-hmm. And also for resources to be pushed into the community. Um, you know, we don't have a grocery store, full service grocery store in the community. Um, they, like I said, there's no high school, banking institutions. Like, so really helping people to understand what barriers and challenges the community is facing. Um, and, and just that, you know, transportation is a challenge. Like all these things kind of just contribute to overall what is happening. And that also... Um, like those, uh, the the four the four young people who lost their lives. Um, two of the uh, the guys were a part of the Yes Indirect program. Wow. Um, the young lady, she was a John Marshall graduate. Um, she was part of the JAG program. So, like, youth are involved in programs, mm-hmm. but there has to be other opportunities for them after those programs, um, in order to just create access and opportunity for a better quality of life. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know that you all are going to meet again this Sunday. What time does that start and what's the location? So we'll be meeting today at 2.30 p.m. at Cafe. That's 8902 East 38th Street. Um, And we'll be there from about 2.30 to about 4 o'clock. It's open to the community. We, um, We just encouraged anyone to come out we just we want to keep the conversation uh positive and uplifting and uh, just create an opportunity for uh for support awesome awesome um i know that even outside of what you all are doing um for this specific cause by creating that space for um residents there are so many different resources and services all throughout the year that cafe offers so tell us a little bit about that yeah, so CAFE is a multi-service organization, and we provide uh, workforce development opportunities. We have hiring events. We have reentry services. Um, we have certification uh, opportunities and trades. We have someone that's working on that. Um, and we also have financial coaches. Um, I do uh, work with, with neighborhoods, so doing programming and activity that the community wants to see really to change that narrative. Um, working closely with residents. We also have a senior program. So uh, 55 plus seniors are coming uh, to the community community center. Um, And then we also have um, our youth career navigators working with that 16 to 24 year old age range. And then CAFE, the building as a whole has La Plaza in there, the WIC office, Head Start. Um, So we have a lot of services available. HSE class is also known as GED. 
um, and then English language learner classes. Uh, so we just try to be a hub that addresses um, with a wraparound approach um, that is also uh, multi-generational. We are a center for working family sites with the Great Families 2020 program, getting families connected to their early childhood education so parents can go back to work. So lots of services. Um, if people want to know what we have going on, you can always go to our website. It's cafeindy.org, C-A-F-E-I-N-D-Y.org. Um, and yeah, we're, we're here and we're available for the community. Awesome, awesome. And I know that we will have you back soon to talk about the Far East Side Festival. So super excited about that. Um, one last question I want to ask you. Um, what does it mean to you? I know that you are a huge champion um, for the Far East Side, even outside of what your occupation is. Um, what does it mean for you to be East Side strong in the midst of everything that we talked about today? So I, East Side, Far East Side strong for me means um, just being um, an asset to my community. I'm born and raised in the Far East Side. I went to John Marshall, went to Arlington. My mom lives down the street from the community center. So I'm invested. The, you know, the whole reason why, um, why I went to school in the first place to, to learn about ways to impact community was to come back into my neighborhood and figure out how we can get a grocery store, how we can get better job access. So for me, it's about the unity. It's about working with groups and just um, uplifting their voices and, uh, and getting resources to the community so we can so we can have a better quality of life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I know that you mentioned the website. Are you all on social at all? Yeah. So um, on Twitter, we are cafe underscore indie four six two two six. Um, same thing on um, Instagram and then um, on Facebook. If you just type in Cafe Indie, you should be able to find us. Awesome. Well, Sharia, thank you so much uh, for being a guest on the show and for everything that you're doing in the community to um, impact lives. So definitely appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, as we wrap up, I want to let you all know that um, tomorrow I am going to be moderating a black wealth and wellness community forum at the central library that starts at six o'clock p.m um it's going to be including victoria Beatty, who is the executive director of growing places indy pastor jeffrey johnson ii of eastern star and michael scott founder of C founder and ceo of scott estates and this is being put on by the great folks behind party gras so there is some method to all of the hypeness that's going to be happening this weekend i also want to remind you that the new open line starts next sunday so it will be me joined by cameron riddle um, who will be co-hosting and this show will start at 8 a.m and air across station platforms so it'll be 106.7 and hot 96.3 fm at the same time um, starting at 8 a.m next sunday thank you all for your support thank you for tuning in this morning and as always have a great sunday and a positive week Peace.